Mormon Discussion Podcast is about helping Latter-day Saints like you lead with faith while tackling deeper, complex issues within Mormonism. All financial support goes directly towards keeping the podcast alive and supporting listeners like you. To support the podcast, please consider becoming a premium subscriber at mormondiscussionpodcast.org. Again, that's mormondiscussionpodcast, all one word, dot org. You can do this for as little as $1.50 a month or $12 a year. And this will also reward you by letting you listen to premium episodes like this one months before the general public has access. Thanks for listening. And now, on to what you've been waiting to hear. Welcome to another episode of Mormon Discussion. I'm your host, Bill Real. Grateful to be with you today. It is 8.22 in the morning on November 26th. Uh, this just comes a few days after I saw a blog post by Daniel Peterson where he showed a graph that somebody had shared of reasons why people leave the church. And the person who made this graph is obviously an ex-Mormon or a very critical person of the church. And the graph had multiple options of why people leave because they're lazy, they want to sin, and had several of them. And the last one was because of church history. And you would expect to look at the actual pie chart and see that there were different slices for various of these reasons. But the actual pie chart was solid colored filled in for the reason that people leave for church history. And I don't think that's, that's accurate. I mean, I think, I think Daniel Peterson is right in that it is silly to say that all people uh, leave the church over church history. In fact, when I served as a bishop in Ohio, in fact, even going back further than that, uh, after I joined the church, I was called to be the assistant ward mission leader. And I got a chance to work with the missionaries and, and to work with the ward mission leader. And they would hand out this paper. I don't know if it came from the ward level, the stake level. I assume it was the stake level or from the ward or from the, uh, the mission. And this paper that they would hand out would have, um, every member who joined our ward in the last 18 months. And it was one of these spurts in our ward where tons of people had joined the church. I mean, we had like 23 people on the list. It was, it was an incredible number. And these people all were, were baptized. And of those 23 people, me and one other sister were the only ones who had any level of activity. And that sister was kind of off and on. So I was the only one of that whole 23 who was, who was committed at that point to the, to the church and coming every week. And it struck me, like, at the time, I thought, well, man, look how awesome I am, right? But now looking back, it just strikes me how many people join the church and how many of them go inactive pretty quickly. And I can look back over my time in the church and see that a lot of people join the church who generally would go inactive pretty quick after that baptism. And so I think Daniel Peterson is right in that so... So few of the people who leave the church leave for church history reasons. But I also want to kind of put this back on on Brother Peterson a little bit too, in that I think we have to parse out at least two groups of people who are leaving. And the first group is going to be those who don't really know the church very well. They just They just weren't committed. Maybe it's the teenager who never really wanted to go to church, but his parents kind of make him. And once he's out of the house, he's not going back. Maybe it's the new convert who joins the church and, and within a few weeks, they just, this just doesn't interest them anymore. It was fun while the missionaries were coming. 
and now the missionaries aren't showing up every every couple of days and there just isn't that kind of commitment and so i think there are uh, a majority of people who go inactive in the church go inactive for lack of commitment reasons and and i just want to take that group and set them off to the side i don't want i don't want to say anything about them I'm not speaking to them. I'm not speaking about them. I just want to set them off to the side and recognize that they are the majority of people who are, who are leaving activity in the church. Now I want to deal with at least this, this second group. And again, I'm, I'm forming a dichotomy here. There's probably a thousand different groups we could create if we wanted to. But in creating this dichotomy, I want to, I want to talk to this second group. And the second group is I want to examine those who are dedicated to the church, those who who see themselves as believers full in, saying yes to callings, paying tithing, going to the temple. And I want to talk about why those people leave and, and really not even why they leave so much as is kind of what those folks look like. So recently I came into possession of two PDF documents. The, the first PDF I will share with you today talks at length about the doubter and and this PDF starts off with the objective to build awareness and promote understanding and inclusion for questioning progressive and secular Mormons. Now, I want to say here that when I say questioning progressive and secular Mormons, I think it's fair to say as we go through this data that these folks were dedicated at some point to the gospel. And I don't just mean like dedicated for three or four days and then that was good. These guys were dedicated Latter-day Saints. And I think what the church is dealing with right now is that the dedicated Mormons 30 years ago stayed dedicated their entire lives. Dedicated Mormons today are, are finding out that church history and theology and doctrine and fallible leader, all of that, they're finding out just how messy that is. And, and from, you know, starting maybe whatever, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, there's, there's no longer this guarantee that those dedicated members are going to stay dedicated their entire lives. They are, a chunk of them, are going to become questioning uh, progressive or secular Mormons or altogether just leave the church. And I think this is the section of members that the church really needs to pay particular attention to and figure out ways to be more loving, kind, and inclusive to them. So in this in this objective of building awareness and promoting understanding and inclusion for questioning progressive and secular Mormons, let's talk a little bit about this project. And in my my frustration as I watched this this discussion on uh, Daniel Peterson's Facebook page take place is this defensiveness from both sides. And and I jumped in about, you know, whatever, 100 comments in, I jumped in and and, and spoke a few things that I find to be true. But, but I find this dialogue between these two sides of the spectrum to be absurd because neither one convinces the other that they're right. <clears throat> Nobody's changing positions. But I did point out that the reality is that if you take the literal believer on one side and you take the mystical, the literal orthodox believer on one side and the mystical figurative believer on the other, there's one thing that I have come to understand is as true as true can be. And that is that the road between those two ends of the spectrum, and again, I know there's lots of other conclusions people can end up at. People can end up not a mystical believer, just a non-believer and out. I don't want to talk about all those other tangents. Between the literal orthodox believer and the mystical figurative believer, that road only goes one direction, period. One direction. No ifs, ands, or buts. 
And when I see in life paths that only go one direction as absolutes, I think there's truth there. And I think that truth is worth examining. And in this discussion on uh, on Daniel Peterson's Facebook page, you could see these two sides going at it. And you could see people jumping in and saying, look, I've I've read the difficult history and it's actually increased my faith. But I think that's also a misnomer. And here's why. Throughout history, people have been willing to believe things even when the evidence comes crashing down on them. It's a phenomenon known essentially as belief persistence and confirmation bias. And what happens is, so take the Jehovah Witnesses, for example. When they prophesied that Jesus would come back in 1914 and he didn't come back, then sure, a lot of Jehovah Witnesses lost their faith and they they walked away. But many held on to their testimonies and persevered. When Jim Jones in the cult that he had begun had its climactic ending where they poisoned, uh, I think it was soda drinks, but we talk about it as Kool-Aid, with cyanide and other poisons, some of these people willingly drank it. Now, some of them had to be forced. Some of them had to be shot. Other things had to occur. Other things had to occur, but the reality is that some of those people just drank it, right? And then you've got like a group like Heaven's Gate, and they all just commit to kill themselves so they can be taken up by these aliens. And and again, they just they they eat the pudding that's poisoned and lay on their beds and just die peacefully. Like there's no fight. You look at Scientology, and there are members of that organization who become aware of the contradictedness, the contradictions within their faith. They become aware of the messiness within their paradigm, and they just double down. And so throughout religions, there are people who double down on their beliefs, even when it gets messy, and their faith actually increases in spite of the fact that their religion is not true. Now, I'm not speaking to Mormonism's truth or untruth. Rather, I'm simply saying that we should expect to find within Mormonism, even if it isn't true, People who will entrench and double down and increase their faith when the messiness is discovered. Now, do you think any level of trying to talk them out of that is going to, is out of it is going to work? It doesn't. And so those conversations become absurd. Again, recognizing that literal to mystic is only a one-way road or orthodox to mystic is only a one-way road, then we can begin to maybe grasp like where this conversation really should go. And so today I just want to talk about some of this data. It starts off with the first slide says faith crisis defined. The definition given here is a state of intense emotional distress resulting from the discovery of uncorrelated church history, uh, facts that do not align with traditional LDS narrative. This distress and ensuing analysis of LDS truth claims often results in members losing literal belief in the LDS truth claims. So, Again, if we're saying, look, we have to hold the ground that this is all literal, the reality is members of the church are going to travel the road of literal believer to unorthodox mystical believer. And there is no going back the other direction. Like once you are on the path and you are somewhere halfway or more between mystic and literal, there's no going back to the literal believer. And so when we recognize that people are reading up on Mormonism's uh, messiness and they are becoming less literal believers, we ought to recognize they are on a road that only goes one way. And on some level, there's truth in that journey. Like that's a true journey. 
And so what are we going to do about that as Mormons? So they did some research methodology. Um, they did interviews and strategic guidance from 20-plus LDS subject matter experts, in-depth interviews between 2011 and 2013 with 40 members. They were active members, less active, believing, doubting, non-believing. They did an ethnographic survey in 2011 of 3,388 doubting, non-believing members. They did a qualitative uh, narrative study solicited from 1,500-plus doubting and non-believing members collected in 2013. They did 18 months of review and refinement by LDS subject matter experts and senior church leaders. Now, this is not, this study is not like this conclusive study that tells us, you know, exactly why people leave the church. No, instead, what we're doing again is setting that first group aside of people who were undedicated to the church and went inactive. What we're doing here is we're talking about the folks who were dedicated and what we know about them and why they left or became less believing in Mormonism. So here's the five key things we learn. Number one, many of the doubters and unbelievers are active or somewhat active Latter-day Saints. See, there's this misnomer that when someone becomes a doubter or unbeliever, they've left the church. And, and I don't think that's the case. A little less than half of the surveyed unbelievers remain active in the church, while over half no longer attend. We should say, too, this PDF will be available when this episode releases. So when you're listening to this, you can go to mormondiscussionpodcast.org. You can jump onto this episode, and the, the webpage for this episode will have links at the bottom. The link that you will see will be the link for this data. It's a beautiful PDF, very well done. Um, simply go in. If you want to follow along in the PDF, you certainly can do that. Push pause for a second. Go on your computer, look at the PDF, and follow along. But I think this data is so incredible. So 56% of those surveyed, again, we are talking about a very large number of people who were talked to, who were interviewed, who were surveyed, who had a chance to tell their story. So for some, to me, on some level, this data is pretty darn conclusive on on that second group, those who were dedicated members of the church who left. Of those who uh, now have doubts or no longer believe, 56% do not attend at all, right? 6% attend once a year. 6% attend quarterly. 5% attend monthly. 6% every other week. But 20% of them are still going weekly. Now, I'm one of those. I absolutely have doubts. And on, and on some issues, I am an unbeliever. And I go every week. And still, there's this part of me that just hopes in Mormonism. And, and I keep going. And so a little less than half of the surveyed unbelievers remained active in the church, while over half no longer attend. Number two, disbelief is typically not shared with leaders. Spouses tend to be aware of a faith crisis issue, they tend to, not always. Again, for the doubter, it's a it's a matter of what he thinks will happen, what he or she thinks will happen when he or she discloses their doubt. Are they worried that their marriage will end in divorce? Are they worried that church leaders will begin to shun them or to treat their doubt as a plague? Our trust in those around us, how they will handle this information, is crucial to our decision to disclose this information. I went... 
I was serving as a bishop and I went at least a good year when my shelf came completely down from saying anything to anyone, including my wife. I just tried to tough it out. And at, the, and at some point I realized that this was not getting better. In fact, it was getting worse. And so I, I talked to my wife. I wrote an apostle. And only, only a few months later did I finally feel comfortable enough to talk to my stake president. And that only occurred when I began to recognize that I was locating my authority within myself and realizing that this was just messy and that just wasn't going to go away. Church leaders and friends tend to be less aware. Again, when we're not sure what's going to happen to the relationship, we are much less likely to disclose the information. This was the big one, I thought. that they, dis- they, they discovered in talking to these folks that these folks, as an overall attitude, that the church typically was not viewed as a safe place to share doubts and concerns, right? To go into the three-hour block and to talk about those things or to sit down with church leaders and to talk about those things. The church, right? So if LDS leaders are listening, and again, they're already aware of this information, by the way. This information was shared with church top church leaders. The church is not viewed as a safe place to share doubts and concerns. And the last one of this second section, believing members often ascribe insensitive labels for member unbelief, sin, desire to sin, offense, hard-heartedness, lack of adequate study, low intellect, etc. I think it's important, too, to recognize that the church, knowing this information, having this information had been presented to them, it's interesting to know some of these church talks that were given out around this time. You've got Elder Christofferson and Elder Anderson talking about what is doctrine, what isn't doctrine. And you've got Elder Uchtdorf around this time giving the talk, come join with us, where he says that for those that leave, simple explanations are not that simple. Like this is, this is a messier discussion of why people leave. Number three. Affected members are educated and high earners. See, we like to paint the idea that those who leave aren't that bright. And those that leave, I mean, they're just, they're really not uh, go-getters anyway. They just weren't really willing to kind of push through and, and figure out what's going on. But here's the real story. When we get to this section of affected members are educated or high earners, let me go through some of this. Let's talk about education first. So of everybody who was surveyed, again, this is a, a plethora of people who consider themselves doubters at this point or unbelievers, 3% of them were high school graduate, right? 3% high school graduate. 27% had some college education. 39% were college graduates. 21% had a master's degree. And 10% had doctorate degrees. So again, 39 and 21 and 10 you are essentially at 70%. 70% of doubters or unbelievers in Mormonism are college graduates or higher. 31% are master's degrees or higher. To me, that is mind-blowing. Let's look at income. 10% of those who doubt or are unbelievers make zero to $20,000 a year. Now, again, some of this is skewed. You might think, oh man, some of these guys are flipping burgers at McDonald's. I don't think so. I think if we were to dive into who these people are, some of them are simply right now in the middle of college, in the middle of their education, and perhaps are already 
uh, college graduates and are now working on a master's degree and they're on a scholarship and they're going to school full time and they don't have an income because I knew people like this. And so let's just grant that at least some of that 10% are those people. Now, 14% make between 20 and 40,000 a year. Again, I think some of those are those people as well. 17% make 40 to 60,000 a year. 17% make between 60 and $80,000. 14% make between 80 and $100,000 a year. 22% make between 100 grand and 200 grand a year. And 7% make more than $200,000. These people are highly educated and these people make good money. These are people who work hard in their lives to provide an income for their family. These people are educated and they're go-getters, right? So you have, again, 7 at 200, 22 at 100 to 200, and 14 at 80 to 100. So you have 43% of the people making $80,000 a year or more. 43% at $80,000 a year or more. And 60% at $60,000 a year or more. Number five, the primary drivers of LDS faith crisis. Number one is internet-based access to uncorrelated information. So when people go onto the internet and they find out the dominant narrative that the church has put forth that Richard Bushman says is not true, when people find the actual narrative of Mormonism and they see the discrepancy between it and the story the church wants to tell, number one reason they become doubting or unbelieving Latter-day Saints. Number two, constant availability of uncorrelated information via mobile devices. So they're sitting in church, somebody says something, they look it up, and they find out that something, there's a, there's a discrepancy and that divide is too wide. It provides too much cognitive dissonance. Number three, member exposure to uncorrelated information via traditional and social media. So when people go on Facebook and they see their friend or relative from their ward or their family talking about the messiness of Mormonism and providing a link to some information, all of a sudden, again, you go, wait a minute, what happened? Number four, the ability to discuss and debate alternate points of view with like-minded people in social media. I can't say enough about this one. You go back 20 years ago, and the only Mormonism you could really talk about was just with your ward family or your actual family, right? And if you wanted to know more, you had to go find books at libraries, and your library only had a couple, so you had to kind of request books and know what you were looking for. Today, it is in your face. The ability to discuss and debate alternate points of view with like-minded people in social media. You see, you couldn't have these discussions in your ward then, and you really can't have them now. But what you can do now is go onto Facebook, participate in these discussions, and talk about the messiness and contradictions of Mormonism. Here's a quote from one of the people surveyed. Quote, The church leadership doesn't match the level of honesty they preach about in church manuals. I have no faith or trust in them anymore. And for all they have done to me in my relationship with my wife, I consider them my enemy. Respondent number 1,208, anonymous male, in his 30s. So I also have a PDF of these stories, and we're going to read them. We're going to read some of them, if not all of them. And I want to share with you like the overwhelming data 
what these people tell us and, and how they feel, how they got to where they are and what they see as solutions or better approaches to helping this. And obviously from that respondent, one is transparency and honesty. These people are, are utilizing Facebook. They are reading articles in the paper when they see them on social media. For example, Hans Matson's story. They're doing searches on Google. They are visiting uh, forums and discussion boards where it becomes obvious that Mormonism is extremely messy, much messier than the narrative they put forth. The internet is here. It is not going away. And so now we have to understand the, the growth of this group. We have to understand that because this is not going away, this is going to continue to be a growing problem. And I want, I hope you see that this is a growing problem. And we're going to share some data here that absolutely proves that. So let's talk about one of the most visited places that those who are doubting and those who are unbelievers go to visit. So there is a website called Reddit. On Reddit is a place that people can post anything, a link um, to a blog or to a video. They can post pictures. They can post a question or a conversational topic. They can talk about whatever they want. And and in Reddit, there are multiple uh, subgroups. And there are several Mormon subgroups. One is uh, Latter-day Saints, which is a very faithful, very kind of comfortable place to be if you are an Orthodox Mormon, going to the three-hour block, kind of things that you could talk about in that three-hour block and feel comfortable doing so or asking. There's another one that's just called Mormons. It's much more neutral. And so you have people on both sides. You have people who are very much believers, people who are very much critical, doubting, unbelieving, one of those tangents. And, and these guys are all getting together and having interesting discussions. There's also a board called Ex-Mormon. And for somebody who's listening to this episode, when you hear the word Ex-Mormon, the assumption is always going to be made that these are the people who left the church. They're really angry and, and I'm just going to dismiss them. And I think that's unfair. I think it's really unfair. And, and let me at least say one point as we continue. First off, People participating in the ex-Mormon Reddit page are not necessarily all people who have left. There are a lot of people on this discussion board who are still in the church, staying for one reason or another. The other thing is that there's the assumption made that, you know, anything that's ex-Mormon is false, untrue, and I just need to dismiss it and stay away from it. The reality is that most of the things that ex-Mormons have been talking about as the data, as the information, the church now validates as being factual, including its gospel topic essays, which attempt to cover difficult issues in a way as to help Orthodox members be aware of these issues, but also continue to believe, feeling like there's good answers to those questions. And as a believer, you should know, like, yes, we can debate the conclusions. We can debate the conclusions that the ex-Mormon folks or the doubting or unbelieving active Mormon folks are talking about. But the reality is, I think at this point, that the church, if it was put on the spot, would acknowledge that, you know, 85% or more of the facts that these people are claiming as facts actually are. They actually are facts. And And now, while we can wrestle with the conclusions, for the most part, the facts are pretty settled. Now, on to the growth of the ex-Mormon subreddit. So in August of 2011, there was somewhere in the range of about 3,500 
folks who were active users um, of ex-Mormon subreddit. In February of 2013, that had reached about 7,500. In August of 2015, it is upwards of around 30,000 members. Now that's 30,000 plus members in five years, less than five years worth of time. Now to kind of relate that, the, the tabernacle, which was the, the previous place that conference was held, not the conference center, but the actual tabernacle had a capacity of 7,000 people. I think the conference center now holds like 21,000. The, the registered users of ex-Mormon Reddit, and this was back in 2015, is 34,775. So registered users, these are people who have signed up for an account and have subscribed to ex-Mormon Reddit. Now, you have to understand there's lots of things going on here in these visits to this site. There are registered users, and there are also unique visits. So there's a thing in these blogs and discussion boards called lurkers. A lurker is someone who doesn't register, but is still reading and looking at and clicking the material. So registered users, again, has gone up slightly from November 2015 to October of 2016. But of unique visits, so when the policy came out in November of 2015, there was just shy of 300,000 unique ISP visits in November of 2015. Now, you could assume that every one of those unique visits is a different person, but the reality is that most of us who are messing around on the internet uh, who are using the internet are using it from several devices or several ISP addresses. I may look at the, I may use the internet from my home and I may use the internet from my workplace. And those are going to be two different ISP addresses. And so I think it's fair to say that maybe we're somewhere around a hundred to 150,000 people in, in that statistic. And, and that went down a little bit after the policy, but it is constantly been every month somewhere between 150 and 225,000 unique ISP address uh, visits to ex-Mormon Reddit. So between the registered users and the lurkers, you're talking about quite a few people. In September of 2016, there were 225,322 ex-Mormon subreddit unique visits. That's enough to fill, that's enough to fill 32 tabernacles. So how about page views? Again, of these unique visits, of these unique visits that are ranging somewhere in the 250 to 225,000 range, that number of people visiting, whatever that number is, the actual number of pages they are viewing ends up being somewhere around 3,000, or I'm sorry, 3,200 pages to about 5 million page views. In other words, these people are looking at a lot of the pages on ExMormon. A lot of people, when you gauge website use, there it is well known that let's say you have a business that has a a uh, internet storefront, right? And so people go on to a business, whatever that business is online. A lot of people are leaving after visiting the first page. They click on the link, they look at the front page, and they're gone, they're out. For every unique visitor to ExMormon Reddit, they are viewing on average 19.8 page views. 
That means these people are dedicated to finding out more information on this page. If I ran a business and my average visitor to my site was looking at 19.8 pages of my website, that would be incredible. That would be astounding. That would be like in the top one percentile of, of businesses that are capturing their user. And so to understand that ex-Mormon Reddit is, is not only getting people to visit its site, but these people are captured in. They are looking at tons of information. They're reading 19.8 different things on average. Now, what about projected growth? Ex-Mormon Reddit is expecting to have over 200,000 registered users by the October conference of 2020. That's, that's the trajectory they are on. And it'll be interesting to see if that's where it goes to. So through social media, hundreds of thousands of additional active members will become questioning and secular Mormons. They may leave, they may stay, but they are going to lose institutional trust. And so the question has to become, again, church leaders are aware of this data. The question has to become, what is the church going to do to not lose these folks? And the long-term effects of these transitions will be substantial. The challenge in our very moment is less about how well we will answer tough questions and more about how we're going to treat questioning, progressive, and secular Mormons. Again, church leaders are completely aware of this information. They understand that people are losing institutional trust in the church, that people are moving from the literal perspective to the mystical, and that road only goes one direction. So what are we going to do? So I hope you'll join in later episodes as we discuss some of these stories, as we get to know those folks who have lost institutional trust and to understand why they that happened, where they're at, what they feel, and what can be done. We have an issue on our hands and we can hide away from it and we can pretend all is well. We can classify these people as the chafe and the tares. We can say it's the last days and it was going to happen anyway. We can make those excuses, but the reality is that the narrative that Mormonism tells about itself is not true. And so adjustment is needed and not just small little subtle shifts that nobody in the church is recognizing, but rather it is time that these shifts become noticeable. It is time that we all become a little more uncomfortable and have to make some paradigm shifts as a church. God bless you. May the Lord warm your shoulders. And might you warm the shoulders of someone next to you who's on this journey. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Say